John chapter 10, verse 6 says, Those who heard Jesus heard this illustration and didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate, and those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and grow freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This morning I want to ask you, have you ever had someone try and help you only to make matters worse? Ever trying to, ever got that? Uh, I remember earlier on in the pandemic, I don't know exactly how it was here, but, but in Ontario, we had quite a bit of lockdown. I think you had the same. But uh, all the barbers and hair salons were closed for quite a while. I, you guys have that here too, right? And so I remember showing up at my life group on Zoom at the start of the pandemic. And uh, one of our life group members uh, came and he was wearing a hat. Now, how many of some people wear a hat every day? And some people, you've never seen them in a hat. He was like a never-in-a-hat kind of person. But he showed up to our Zoom group, uh, life group, in a hat. And so we go, hey, nice hat, you know. And, and with the story began to unfold that as uh, he had the hair of a chia pet. Anyone ever had a chia pet back in the day? Like his hair would just grow so full and bushy, like, you know, in a matter of weeks. So he would make any man in the 80s proud. You know, that, that perm hair just sticking out, you know, Bob Ross style or something like that. And, and so he had a full head of hair. And so his wife, uh, she watched a couple YouTube videos and she said, you know what, honey, I'll help you with a haircut. <laughs> Anyone get a COVID haircut or a quarantine cut here? <laughs> well, she watched the YouTube video and she did her best. But quite honestly, it was not very good. It was a bad haircut. But you know, congratulations to him. He stuck with it. And so for the next three days, she tried to make it better. For the next three days, she would take off a little bit here and a little bit there and think that. And, and it, was, it was taking shape. It, it was getting better. But on the third day, she made the cardinal sin of any wife trying to help her husband with a haircut. She was in the middle of taking a little off here and a little off there. And she switched the length of the clippers. And you know what she did? She forgot to put the guard on, and she took it right down to the skin, right up the side of his head, and it was awful, hence his hat in the middle of our life group. Maybe, maybe you have uh, been offered help. You know, haircuts are one thing. Maybe you've actually been injured. Anyone ever had that person, uh, you know, when you were actually injured and they're trying to help you, uh, and, you and they ask you this, does it hurt when I do this? Have you ever had that? You're like, yes, of course that hurts. Ow, what are you? I, I, I'm just glad, you know, helping can sometimes lead to more pain and more. Check out this video of helping when it hurts.
I hope none of them needs to be carried on in a stretcher today. <laughs> it's funny, right? It's funny. But some of us have actually needed help when we've been hurt. And some of us haven't got the help we needed. You know, sometimes we actually have been hurt worse in that moment when we need the help. Maybe you're here today and you, and you would say, you know what, Pastor Jerry, I, I've needed help before. And when I reached out, I didn't feel like I got the help that I needed. Some of you would even say, the church has hurt me in my moment of need. I meet people like that all the time. And what they're really saying is that people that I look to, they responded to me. and They didn't always get the response or the help that I needed. And if you're here today, you would say, you know what, Pastor Jerry, the, hurt, the church has hurt me when I was hurting. I want to apologize to you. I don't know the situation all behind it. But I know that Jesus is the one who brings healing and wholeness. And as a church, our, we fail. You know, we're not perfect. If there's one thing I can guarantee you as a pastor is that at some point in life, I'm going to disappoint you. I hope that I don't hurt you. That's never my intent. But I know at some point, you might be disappointed with me. And we can talk about that, and that's okay. But what I do know is that Jesus is the one who brings healing and hope to the hurting. One of the endearing things about Jesus is how he responds with compassion to the hurting. Through scripture, we see Jesus giving great attention to the needs of others and, and leaning into the hurt inflicted by those who were supposed to be bringing help. Uh, we're in week three of this seven-week series on the I Am statements of Jesus, and we're going to be going into Easter looking at these metaphors that Jesus used to help us understand who he is and what his mission on this earth was. And, and so he makes these seven I Am statements, and, and together they're not like individual lenses through which we see Jesus, but together they're like tiles in a mosaic creating this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. Is. And throughout this series, we've been looking at this uh, series with a lens that only in knowing who Jesus is can I know who I am. As we look at each of these I am statements of Jesus, we see a part of ourselves and who we are and who he is. And so if you want to turn in your Bible to John chapter 9 and 10, we're going to land there today. John chapter 9 and 10. John 9, Jesus is out with a walk with his disciples. He's out and he's getting some fresh air with his homies and, and he's spending some time with them. And uh, it says that the disciples see a man who's been blind since, since birth. John 9, 2 says that they asked Jesus this question. They asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Well, that's kind of an interesting question, you know, and why would they bring it down to those two choices? And uh, the reason for this is because their Jewish teachers, their Jewish religious leaders had taught them that uh, suffering and especially illness was a judgment of God for our sin. Now, imagine yourself in this man's position. It's not bad, it's not hard enough that he has to deal with the fact that he's born blind. You know, imagine right now that you could hear the birds but never be able to see them. 
For this man, he, he, uh, he could imagine the stars, but never got a chance to watch them glow in the night sky. Uh, this man could feel the warmth of the sun as it illuminated the sky each morning, but he could never see the sky brighten up or see the hues of pink and purple and orange as the sun set at night. It was hard enough with being, uh, to deal with being born blind, but imagine on top of that, believing that you deserved to be blind. This is the state that this man finds himself in. Well, Jesus quickly corrects his followers' thinking in verse three. He says, it's not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus isn't saying here that God causes sickness and evil and suffering to promote his glory. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is that in every opportunity and every obstacle is an opportunity for the glory of God to be revealed. In every obstacle and illness and, and hardship, there's an opportunity for God's glory to be revealed as we rely on him. And so Jesus here repeats this I am statement that Kirsten uh, preached so well on last week that I am the light of the world. Uh, and then uh, as we saw, he followed that up with saying that you are the light of the world. And, and what we're seeing here is that while he was on earth, he was the light and he is calling us now to be reflections of his light. And so for Jesus is here is wanting his followers to see that they're to bring hope to the world, not condemnation to people who are already hurting. Jesus proceeds to heal this man who had been born uh, blind his entire life, and he goes from being blind to being able to see. It's an amazing story, and you can imagine his excitement. Imagine the depth of his excitement in this moment to be able to see for the first time in his life. And so he begins to tell everyone excitedly what's been happening and the people that have been around him and have known him all his life are, are excitedly rejoicing in this miracle. And so in their enthusiasm, they take him to the religious leaders and testify about how there's been a miracle, the supernatural work of God has taken place. And where else would you go? But to the religious leaders. But rather than being excited at this man's newfound sight, uh, they become uh, uh, mad because the healing took place on the Sabbath day. Like, how dare you get healed on our holy worship day? Imagine that. They begin their interrogation. You know, tell us what happened. The Bible says that they doubted the story. There's, there's no way that this guy was blind. He, he's making this up. And so they call for his parents to come. And, and they, they call, the parents come and, and they confirm, yes, this is our son who's been born blind since birth. And so the religious leaders of Pharisees are incredulous. They're, they're frustrated and, and they began to, to uh, ask the parents, how did this happen? I love the, just the reality of scripture, you know. We just see this tension happening. How did this happen? I love the parents' response. They're like, how should we know? They said, he's a grown man. Ask him. I love it. Just the reality of scripture. 
Well, refusing to believe the story, the religious leaders probe the man again. They're asking, well, uh, they ask, what do you believe about Jesus' divinity? What is his source of power? Do you think it's appropriate, uh, his, his healing of you? And, and, and do you think his methods used? What were, and I love the man's response. He, he, he quickly, uh, he just comes down to this. He says, ah, I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't know anything other than this. I was blind, but now I see. How many of you this morning can say, I was blind, but now I see? How many of you walked in darkness at some point in your life and you thought you were seeing, but then Jesus opened your eyes and now you can say, I was blind, but now I see. I don't know how he did it. I don't know why he did it, but Jesus has given me sight. Praise God this morning, amen? Leonard Ravenhill, the English evangelist, said, a man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. This man said, I don't know. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. Pay special attention to the response to, this, to the religious leaders. These are the gatekeepers of the things of God. They're the ones to whom people came to gain access and to gain understanding of the things of God. Remember that they had taught and believed that this man's blindness was evidence of his sinfulness. Because of his blindness, this man would have never been allowed to worship in the synagogue. He would have been an outsider because they viewed him as someone on the outside. Now, technically, there's no reason to exclude him any longer. Now that he's, uh, he can see, there's no judgment for his sin. They should be welcoming him, uh, welcoming him in. There's no reason to exclude him. There should be an open door for him. But these leaders can't get past his past. They can't understand it. They can't get past his past. They don't understand his encounter with Jesus. And instead of opening the door for him, Opening up this door of fellowship and welcoming into their community of worship, they slam it shut. In verse 34, it says, you were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Here's where we encounter the beautiful compassion and care of Jesus. As I was studying this week, I just got to this verse and I just paused. Verse 35 when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man. It brings tears to my eyes to think about when Jesus heard about the hurting and the suffering and the injustice that had happened to this man, he went and found them. How many are thankful that Jesus went and found you? He went and found you, friends. It's a compassion and care. Of Jesus And Jesus reaches out to support and protect the man yet again facing hurt and rejection. And he does it purposefully in front of those who had smugly inflicted their pain. Have you ever had that? <laughs> Have you ever had that conversation like in front of, you're, you're talking to someone else, but you're, you're having it loud enough so that the third party can hear you. Jesus comes and finds this man in front of the Pharisees. Verse 35 says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. 
Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. The Pharisees are having a cow now, all right? They are freaking out. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of an argument with someone and it became apparent to you that they were seeing things through a different lens than you were. They were seeing things differently. And as you were having the conversation, you began to become aware uh, that maybe they were seeing things uh, rightly and you weren't, right? Have you ever had that conversation? Every husband, you know, no hands. You don't need to put that up. We just, we know, we, we understand but you're in the middle of argument and you have two choices, right? In that moment, you could admit that you were wrong, right? Or you can like dig your heels in a little further and continue defending your views while the Pharisees are, are all twisted up. You know, they're the ones who have claimed this man was blind and they were the ones who had the vision of God and yet Jesus is saying to them that you are the ones who are truly blind. And it brings us to the third I am statement of Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 1. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 6. Says so those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved, and they will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. We see in this passage that Jesus puts together two of his I am statements. I am the gate and I am the shepherd. And Pastor Adrian is going to unpack I am the shepherd uh, next week. But, so we're going to stay locked in on I am the gate. But, but gates, when serving their purpose beyond looking cool, I think, how many of you think gates are cool? Anyone want to put some gates on the end of your driveway or something, right? You're just like so like regal if you have gates on your driveway or something. I don't know. Gates are cool, but they really have two interconnected purposes, don't they? Gates protect. Gates keep out unwanted guests. I used to have this family of skunks that lived in my backyard, and, and one day I saw little baby skunks going through the gate of our, of our garden, and so I ran out quickly to shut it to try to keep these unwanted guests out of my garden. You know, during the cooler winter months, the sheep were gathered into a pen at night, and, and the pen would have traditionally been made usually out of rocks, and they would have had a, a wall of rocks with uh, briars and branches on top, kind of like a, a barbed wire, and, and it was intended to keep the pen safe from thieves. 
As a side note here, you might be interested to know that Jewish law actually made a, a, a differentiation between thieves and robbers. Why did Jesus say thieves and robbers? Uh, in Jewish understanding, a thief was someone who lived in your community. They were a local. They were known to you. And there was a level of trust and acceptance uh, from someone who lived in your community. And so a thief was someone who uh, would really use stealth and deception to steal from you. Uh, a robber, on the other hand, was someone who lived openly uh, a life of crime, usually an outsider who would live in the wilderness and who would rob uh, and pillage passersby. And so uh, it's interesting to know that Jewish law treated thieves harsher than robbers because they were someone who was supposed to be in relationship and good standing with the community. Uh, so that's just a side note. That's just a freebie. So you can, can know that today. But the sheep pens were made with this gateway across which the shepherd would usually sleep at night. And he would sleep there to protect the sheep and to keep them safe. When Jesus said, I am the gate, uh, those who come in through me will be saved. Uh, scholars uh, believe it could equally be translated, those who come in through me will find safety. Jesus is the gate that protects you. How many times has God protected you from situations that you didn't even know that you needed protecting from? How many of you look back on situations and, and heard of things and you're like, thank God that he was there for me. Jesus is the gate that protects you. Isaiah 52, 12 says of God that he will go ahead of you. The God of Israel will protect you from behind. God has always gone ahead and been behind, protecting you, watching over you. Well, what are the unwanted guests that Jesus wants to protect you from? Well, some of them, as I go through Scripture, I see that he protects you from trouble and hardship. Psalm 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. It's not so much that God keeps you from hardship and trouble, but in the midst of hardship and trouble, he keeps you sound and secure. He protects you from discouragement. Psalm 3, verse 3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I mean, I'm thankful that you can hold your head high because God is protecting you. God keeps you from falling away. Jude 24 says, Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. How many are thankful for God's preserving power in your life? God protects you from fear, giving comfort and provision. Now this is the... Uh, um, Psalm 23, so I wonder if uh, we could, let's just say it together this morning. I, I have it in the New Living. Let's read it together. So on the count of three, one, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk, through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. 
Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. How many are thankful for the protection of God and the provision of God in your life? Bible tells us that he protects us from evil and from Satan. 2 Thessalonians 3 says, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. We don't need to fear evil. We don't need to fear the prince of darkness. We have the light that leads to life. We have the gate that gives us safety. Speaking of Satan and his evil schemes, you know what Jesus says that he is our gate. He also talked to Peter about the gates of hell. And he says in Matthew 16, I tell you, Peter, that you are this rock and I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How many know that it feels at times as though the church of Jesus Christ is under attack, it's under pressure, it's under uh, 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 an assault, but the good news here is that Jesus is saying that the church isn't going to merely survive the attacks of evil, but it's going to thrive in the midst of it. How many know that gates are never uh, attacking anybody, right? People are hide behind their gates. When it says here that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, how many know that gates are not uh, um, uh, an attacking weapon? They're defensive. How many know that when he says that the gates of hell will not withstand the church, it's the church that's on the offense? 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. How many know that the church is the, on the offensive? Oh, you guys don't know it yet today. We are on the offensive. We've, we're not playing defense here. Our preaching and our teaching are offensive weapons. Our sharing and caring is an offensive weapon. Our testimony and teaching are offensive weapons. We are not on defense as the church. We are making ground for Jesus against the gates of hell. And not only, uh, 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 you'll get there, I know. <laughs> you'll get there. Well, not only do gates protect, keeping out unwanted guests. But gates also permit. Gates provide access to welcome guests, right? A, a wall is a wall, but a gate is the opening within the wall. It's an access point. It, it turns a barrier into an access point. A gate turns a wall into an opening. I remember driving to Disneyland Anyone ever been to Disneyland before? I remember driving on the freeway and, and looking at all the amazing uh, amusement park and looking at all the fun inside and, and, and trying to find the gate to get in to the park, right? As an outsider, you're outside wishing that you could get in. Anyone as a teenager, you went to a concert, uh, right? And then anyone ever sneak into the concert? You, you went over the fence or, but, but when you have a ticket to go through the gate, right? Jesus is saying that I am the gate for the Old Testament 
people and the people leading up to Jesus, they heard about the goodness of God and they were looking forward to the kingdom of God. They were thinking about what will it be like when heaven is here on earth? What will it be like when the Messiah comes? And they were thinking about all the goodness that lay inside the kingdom of God, but they were on the outside with a wall between them. It says that they were unable to access what God had promised them, but Jesus comes along and he says, I am the gate. I am the access point to all that God has in store for you. I am the gate through which everyone and anyone may come and experience the fullness of God's blessing. What an amazing illustration we have as a church that we are the access point for the world to the kingdom of God. But unlike the Pharisees who use their position as gatekeepers to keep people out, casting judgment and criticism on them. How many know that we want to be an open door? We want to be an open gate compelling people to come in through Jesus Christ. Our church's mission statement says that we exist to worship God, to grow in faith, and to show the world who Jesus is. That's a pretty good mission statement, Amen. We want to show the world who Jesus is. Not only that, but we want to have an invitational culture. We want to be a church that reaches out and says we want to practice the hospitality of God. That God so loved the world that he welcomed and accepted us. And because of that, we love and welcome and accept those around us and say, come, let's go in through the gate together. Jesus told Peter that he was going to build his church. Any strategic planners? Any of the people in, in our church, you, you love strategy? Jesus had a strategic plan to build his church. And how many know if you're going to have a good plan, you got to keep it simple. You've heard that. Keep it simple, stupid, right? You've heard that, st- that st- right? So have a good strategic plan that has to be scalable and sustainable, And how many know that after over 2,000 years that Jesus' plan to grow his church has proven to be scalable and sustainable? He's gone from 12 guys to millions around the world. He's gone from right here at this time to thousands of years later. And what is Jesus' amazing strategic plan to grow his church? It's for you and I to be disciples. His plan is for you to be in love with Jesus and grow in Jesus. That's his plan. But what we see is we, what comes with being a disciple also comes a mission. The mission is disciples make disciples. That's it. That's Jesus' church growth plan. That would be like a lousy seminar. You know, imagine going to a workshop. Jesus says, I want you to be a disciple. I want you to make disciples. That's it. That's Jesus' plan. One of the markers for every believer in our discipleship with Jesus and whether we're growing and thriving is to simply ask the question, when was the last time I invited someone to become a disciple of Jesus? When was the last time that I invited someone to come through the door into the kingdom of God? Jesus makes an important distinction here in this passage. He says, my sheep hear my voice. If we are his sheep, if we're his followers, his disciples, are we hearing the voice of Jesus? Are we recognizing him telling us to invite others to come through the door, to come and find relationship with Jesus and his church? You know, in my short time here at Bethel, uh, I've become excited about our church. 
I'm thankful for our incredibly rich history. I'm excited. I, I am so grateful for the vibrant church that we are today. I just love every Sunday worshiping with you and it's the vibrancy of our church. Uh, but I'm also passionate about the church that we can become. Well, the future that God has for us as we live out his plans and purposes for us. How many know that we don't want to just be a church that's good at doing church? We want to be a church that's good for our community. Right, we want our community to go, we love Bethel Church because we love what they engage in. We love what they, they may not believe everything we stand for, but, but, but we stand for it. And we stand for people. And we stand for loving people. How many know that we don't want to just be a, a good at Sundays, right? If you're just a good at church on Sunday kind of Christian, then I haven't done my job and you haven't done your job. How many know we want to be good on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Thursdays, all the way? How many know on Friday we still got to be good, right, at being Christians for God? As we continue to dream and pray and plan about the future, I know it can seem daunting. I know it can be overwhelming and seem even impossible at times to think about how can we make a difference in this world. But it's in those moments that we need to hear the voice of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice. Jesus' voice simply says this, with me, nothing is impossible. You know, in these moments where we feel inadequate, we need to stop and, and hear the voice again, and we need to be still and hear God when he says to us in John 10, 10, that the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy that should light a fire under us because Jesus' purpose is that I want to give them a rich and satisfying life. You know, we need to look at our world and recognize that Jesus is the gate and he's the open door through which people find eternal hope and eternal life. We need to be reminded that Jesus is constantly calling and compelling people to come to God through him. You know, as we've been saying through this series that only in knowing who Jesus is can I know who I am. And when we see that Jesus is the gate, we see that he's called us to be his gatekeeper of sorts. Because he is the gate, I am the gatekeeper, compelled to invite others to come in. You know, I was invited to a, a long-term care home uh, a little while ago, and as I went, I was told that the, uh, the dying woman had never been to church. She hadn't been to our church and really hadn't been to any church. And so I didn't really know much of her story. And as I got to the uh, home, I found out that the family wanted prayer from the pastor. And as I went and I met this woman's niece, and uh, her niece was her, um, her, uh, her guardian, her executor, and, and she was the only one there. And this niece was a believer in Jesus. For many years, this woman had prayed for her aunt to come and to know Jesus and had invited her to come in through the door and experience all that God had had for her. But now, here on her dying bed, it had seemed to have had little effect. Her aunt had never responded to the invitation to know Jesus. Well, now dementia has uh, set in and severely affected their conversation. And for the niece, she thought that the time had passed, that, that this was just simply not something that was going to transpire in her aunt's life. 
until just a few days before I was invited to come and pray with her. They were sitting in the hospital conversing and the aunt uh, was not very coherent and to the woman she thought she was simply babbling and talking nonsensical thoughts until she really began to listen to what her aunt was saying. And her aunt was saying this, I met Jesus and he's so generous. I met Jesus and he's so generous. I met Jesus. And he's so generous. As I talked with this woman, I said, your aunt truly met Jesus. Think about it for a moment. If you were to talk to someone who had never known Jesus, how would they describe him? If you were trying to make up what you thought Jesus was like, generosity is probably not the thing that you would come up with. But when you've stood in front of Jesus and you've encountered him for yourself, his generosity of grace, his generosity of love, his generosity of kindness. This woman had met Jesus. She'd gone through that gate and accepted the invitation to walk with Jesus. You know, it's never too late, never too far gone to invite others to come through the open door and experience the rich and satisfying life that Jesus has for each and every person. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes and bow your head with me this morning. And if you're here today, you would just simply say, Pastor Jeremy, I need to respond to that invitation to know Jesus. I need to take, maybe you've been hanging around outside the gate. Maybe you've been looking in, kind of trying to understand what this Jesus thing's about. Maybe you've kind of been hanging out, trying to get a feel for whether you like uh, what church is like and the people of God are like. And, but today you just said, I just need to full heartedly take that step through that gate. I need to choose to let Jesus be the Lord and Savior of my life. I need to step fully into what God has for me. Anyone this morning, you just simply raise your hand and hold it up just for a moment so I can see it and pray with you this morning. Anyone, you say, that's me today, Pastor Jared. That's me. I love you guys. It's awesome. How many know it's not always a one-time decision? It's an everyday decision to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Yes, all across this room. Praise God. How many would say to me, you know, in a moment of honesty, you'd say, Pastor Jared, I feel a little convicted because I know I should be inviting people in through the door to experience Jesus, but it's hard for me. It's been a little while since I've done that. I need a little courage, a little boldness, maybe even a little conviction that that's something I should do. And when you say, would you pray for me, Pastor Jerry, because I need that kind of courage and boldness in my life? Yeah, yeah, all across this room, lots of people. I'm there too. You know, your pastor needs courage and boldness to invite people to Jesus. Would you stand with me for this morning? Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you today for this incredible, generous love and grace that you bestow upon us, this rich and abundant life we found in you. Thank you, Jesus, that we were blind, but now we see. I thank you for those people this morning, Jesus, that you've called into relation, that you are helping to see you in new and fresh ways. God, I pray, God, that those of us uh, that have been following you for a while wouldn't develop spiritual glaucoma. God, where we stop seeing you for who you are. But let us see clearly, Jesus, who you are, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. 
You are the source of abundant hope and peace and joy. And because of you, we can have a rich and satisfying life. You protect us. You permit us to come into relationship with you. Lord, I pray that would inspire us to invite others to come and know you too. In Jesus' name we pray.